Hello and welcome to Women of Silicon Valley, the podcast. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Leah Coligato. One of BBC's 100 Inspiring and Innovative Women, Leah has been featured on CNN, Bustle, BuzzFeed. I mean, the list really goes on and on. Leah is not only a Google Maps engineer working on accessibility, but also the fearless founder of Women of Silicon Valley. Leah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. So since you are the founder of Women of Silicon Valley, I want to start out by asking what led you to start this group? That's a great question. Um, I think the answer starts long before I actually started it. So for background, I grew up in a suburb of Dallas, Texas, uh, the child of my dad's a Filipino um, first-generation American. My mom was a refugee from Vietnam. And so growing up in such a white space where I was usually only the only brown person, representation was just always top of mind. And I mean that in a negative way. I always felt like I was the sore thumb. I was the unrepresentative person in the group. So by the time I came to college, it wasn't that big of a deal that I felt outnumbered in computer science. It was kind of like a repetition of a feeling I felt all my life. Um, what I wasn't expecting was just the blatancy of how the, just the paradigm of you have this industry that is incredibly wealthy, concentrates so much wealth, um, so much intelligence. You have all these like brightest and best of the schools flooding in Silicon Valley. And on the other end of the dichotomy, you have this like really primitive um, behavior when you put them all together. Um, I don't want to go into what some of that behavior looks like, but an example is rampant sexual assault. I was interning at a startup in LA and I was a kid. I was 19 and this was one of my first software internships. And I remember there was a senior member of the company. He was about 30 years my major and he had self-proclaimed Asian persuasion. And so very quickly within just like a couple weeks of starting my internship, it became miserable. I noticed him following me whenever I'd go to the micro kitchen. Um, I noticed him staring at me all the time. I couldn't wear anything without him making a comment on it. Uh, finally, it all kind of came to a head because we had a company outing and this man got really drunk and he put his hand on my bottom. And so I think what a lot of folks who've not experienced sexual harassment or assault think is the worst part is the harassment or the assault itself. Um, I'm not saying that it's not always, but at least for me, uh, the worst part was when, when someone does something traumatic to you or damaging, you have the onus of how do I deal with it? How do I respond? Um, and at the time there was no one I could ask these questions to. Um, because I was so young, a lot of my fellow computer science students were just 
out of their depths as well. Uh, that is until I met my mentor, Min Lu. And I was able to ask her, I was pretty upfront, you know, this happened. How do you think I should handle it? And she kind of showed me the light. And so um, in that moment, understanding the power of mentorship and having someone who can help you navigate these systems that weren't necessarily built for me, I thought to myself, I really want to scale this. Um, I want to take this to the next level. So yeah, once I joined Google, um, I was told once I joined that, you know, there were even recruiters at the company who were using Women of Silicon Valley uh, to source engineers. And they said, did you do you want to integrate this into our 20% program? And I said, yeah. So now we're part of Google. That's such a powerful way to take so so many instances where you could have been beaten down by painful experiences from not feeling represented to being harassed and assaulted and taking instead those experiences as a catalyst for creating something that makes so many more people feel really seen. And it's, it's just a testament to you that that's the way you handled those situations. For for anyone going through feelings of either just not feeling represented or uncertainty after being harassed or assaulted and just not knowing what to do to kind of feeling immobility, what what advice would you give beyond finding community and feeling seen through groups like Women of Silicon Valley? What what would be the first action that you would recommend someone in that situation take? I think the pickle we're in is just systemically, there's not a lot of great solutions when it happens to us. I mean, recourse, sexual harassment and assault recourse, you know, is like pretty abysmal. Um, if it's an option, I think it's really smart to really early on, like especially in college, um, get to understand like basic labor law. What are you entitled to? What are you entitled to saying about your company? Um, what are you not? And just like knowing your rights will give you the power to kind of navigate when you're feeling scared of like liability. Because when people do come out against tech companies, there often is retaliation. Um, if you're even more privileged, I'd say like foraying with legal counsel. Um, knowing that if you're going to report your harassment or assault to HR, there is a chance that they're not going to actually provide recourse and more just try to mitigate the liability that you present. Um, but I mean, I think the biggest thing is just knowing that it's not your fault. Um, one of the other big reasons I started Women of Silicon Valley was a lot of the women in tech movement at the time didn't seem to honor the fullness of who I was. Um, I remember in college going to a lot of women in tech or women in computer science mixers and realizing it was predominantly um, white and East Asian women. So there was a lot of preaching corporate slash white feminism. That is a lot of you know, slating issues to just not self-advocating or not negotiating enough. Um, there was no addressing of racism, or colorism, or colonialism. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like I'm Filipino and Vietnamese before I feel like I'm a woman. Um, and, you know, corporate feminism really relies on the labor often undercompensated of women of color and, and women who look like me. So I wanted to create a space where women of color were centered, um, where our achievements are praised, but also really where our struggles are really honestly talked about. Uh, I didn't want to propagate any more toxic positivity. We were going to talk about the issues really honestly, then we were going to mobilize. And so since you founded such an inclusive space, if there's another woman or genderqueer or minority individual out there who's looking to found something of their own, what advice do you wish that you had received that you would now pass on to them? That is a great question. Um, Off the top of my head, claim a domain name. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I had a friend (laughs) who wanted to claim this domain for her company that was doing really successfully. And it was owned by this dude who just had a picture of a little uh, bear. It was like a little honey bear. (laughs) So she ended up having to pay like thousands of dollars. My biggest advice is, you know, we're always told to self-market. And when I founded Women of Silicon Valley, I had a really clear vision of my personal narrative. I am the daughter of immigrants from rural-ish Texas. Mm I find that when you don't have a clear personal narrative of like who you are and this is how I'm selling who I am, uh, journalists or unfortunately what helps a lot of startups and organizations take off in Silicon Valley are not as interested. And so um, I think the art of being able to craft your own story in a way where you feel like you're not overexposing your trauma and you're not re-triggering yourself with having to speak about your trauma all the time is really, really hard. Um, And I wish that the success of so many organizations did not rely so much on palpability or palatability to the media. Um, And that, that also brings up sort of a similar idea that I recently read about in terms of resilience, which is there's this tendency to really overanalyze past experiences and assume that going over them again and again can allow us to learn more from them. But there are some cases where, I mean, you you use the term re-triggering yourself. There are some cases where what might be most productive is focusing on moving forward and and not not feeling the need to overanalyze again and again something that was painful and most likely shaped you and helped you grow, but now might no longer be serving you in bringing it back up to top of mind. It just just kind of all comes down to knowing your worth also, because I also find that a lot of organizations that are founded by people from marginalized communities other folks see the value in it. So they try to lowball them to like acquire the idea. So in terms of continuing to grow and move forward and assuming that these have probably shifted given the current times we're living in, in 2020, what, what is your most important goal either personally or professionally? My therapist and I, one of our big mutual goals was to get me to a place where I respond and not react. 
And I mean, like 2019 was spent on when traumatic things happen to me or when upsetting things happen, um, instead of having this knee-jerk reaction that's all-consuming and feels almost out of my control, um, first taking five seconds to analyze, is this person, is the perpetrator, are they worth my time? Um, is it worth my time to have such like a physical reaction to this? So I think 2020, I'm kind of carrying on that goal, but not so much responding versus reacting to other people. And on a mental health note, responding, not reacting to, to certain thoughts. I grew up with really bad OCD and it involved like a lot of rituals and there are still some remnants of that in my daily life. I have a bad thought. Can I take a step back and instead of reacting to it and feeling a sort of way about me and my capacity to take control of my mental health? Can I respond to it? Can I see it as a symbol of the bigger picture? Like, oh, I get that I want to clean the dishes three times a day because I, I just got a very anxiety inducing phone call. I think that especially with anyone who's trying to balance working from home with maintaining things at the home, it can be more difficult to figure out where an anxiety might be coming from. So that's, that's really useful to be able to separate a reaction from what led to it. So I'm glad that, that that's something you're able to carry into this year. Yeah, just another goal I have for 2020 is, um, you know, as a Filipina, I understand that we come from a long history of colonization and displacement, and there's a lot of hurt and trauma there. Um, I want to work on making myself and my Filipino community, which is really big here in the Bay Area, um, how we can be better allies. There's still a lot of anti-Blackness in the Asian community as a whole. And this week has been particularly heart-wrenching with the murder of Ahmad Arbery. And I mean, the answer, as it's always been, is the onus should never be on the people against whom the violence is perpetrated to fix it. It's it, the, the aftercare is not their issue. The, it should be on us. It should be on Filipinos. It should be on non-Black people of color and white folks to fix this. And I'm like, how can we mobilize the community to just do more? Um, it's it's necessary work and I'm looking forward to dedicating a lot of my time to that now, especially now that I've been lucky that my, my schedule has been stripped a bit bare. We're going to pivot a little bit over to one of our Instagram submitted questions, which is what got you into technology? Yeah. Um, so I was never good with technology growing up. Um, I was always really good at biology because I, I have photographic memory and there are a lot of diagrams. Um, math 
was, it just never felt like my forte and probably a big part of it was society didn't really help say it was my forte. Um, when I got to college, so I remember going into the intro to CS course and the professor was like, uh, he had like a lightsaber and he was using it to point at the screen and he was making all these uh, Star Wars jokes and like he was just presenting the information in a way that was uh, unlike anything I'd ever seen because usually like when computer science or hard science was taught to me it was really um, just like terse um, and I realized I was really good at it because a lot of people they don't want to tell you that computer science is really all about good writing if you can write well you're going to be a fantastic coder and writing is a very, um, it's a learnable skill. I think, I really do think anyone can be a good writer. That is such a, that's such a great, exciting entrance into, into technology and computer science. I love that that was how you were really introduced to it, but I completely agree. I mean, they're, they're called programming languages and you know, learning one of those, in my opinion, is not too different from learning a different spoken or written language. And that addition, the additional beauty of it is it can be self-taught as well, especially with how many sites there are now for learning that. Um, even, you know, including apps that teach it, which allows me to segue us to our rapid fire Q&A session to which you don't have to answer in super quick ways, but they are a little bit lighter in terms of content. So we'll kick it off with what app do you find yourself using the most? Reddit. But don't ask me which subreddits. Uh, <laughs> what is something small you do every day, week or month that makes you feel more upbeat or inspired? I'm really privileged to be able to go to therapy pretty often. Um, and I really frame my life in terms of symbology. Like I grew up listening to Joseph Campbell's mythology tapes and we're really all on our own movie. Like we're all in this hero's journey. But the hard part is being able to suss out what the symbols mean and like make meaning of it. And every time I come out of therapy, uh, or I, I go into therapy, I bring my therapist something that's been causing me anxiety or depression. And she helps me reframe it in a way that I understand it as a symbol. There's a meaning. There's a reason I feel upset. And I come out understanding how it's part of the bigger picture. So that's that's been really nice. And I know therapy is not super accessible, especially if you don't have health insurance. So it, it doesn't just have to be the classical psychoanalysis. It can be a really good friend. It can be prayer. It can be your ministry. Um, it can be Instagram videos. That's a really nice way of looking at things is through that symbology. And I'm glad that you pointed out the fact that it's not something that necessarily everyone has access to. There, there are actually, I'm finding as of late, a lot of Instagram accounts that produce content in that area, just short pieces of advice or uplift or to be honest, someone's therapy could even be looking at funny or cute photos. And so I, I think that that's 
yeah, finding finding something and not being deterred by any stigma around therapy to seek it out if you can is really important. Yeah, I know it was supposed to be a short short answer for a short question, but I, I think people, especially in Silicon Valley, where it's so workaholic, um, we really underestimate the amount of harm that we go through any day. And I'm not talking just about like, you know, actual trauma, but even the process of going on a commute, you ha- you like have to, in San Francisco, you usually walk past, I mean, scenes of human suffering. You see like folks who are homeless and then you go underground and you're fighting to get onto a seat and then someone sneezes on you. There's like a, <laughs> you accumulate all this harm throughout the day. And if without carving out intentional space to heal, and kind of make sense of your feelings, um, life can get really, really hard. It's all of those micro stressors that can can build up. And so there, there are a lot of articles about different ways to deal with that, whether it be not turning on your phone for the first 30 minutes that you're awake to have quiet time in the morning, or something as as dedicated as a time to be going to therapy. But I think that that constant checking in with yourself is is a really good thing, no matter what way that actually manifests. Um, speaking of kind of checking in or, or recharging, what's the last interesting or uplifting thing you did, read, or watched? Um, I was just, <laughs> I like to Wikipedia random stuff. And because my family is... Um, I mean, we're from the islands, we're from the Philippines, and there's a really interesting history um, by how we got populated. I was reading about basically how Polynesia got populated, the, the long voyage, and how it it's simply amazing. Like, they used whale migration, bird migration, and expertise that has no parallel of the stars. And they would go out, like, there's huge expanses of ocean, just thousands of miles of nothing but water. And yet they still went out doing wayfinding, and they found a way. It's like the parallel to us going into space but having no measurements of where the moon was, where Mars is. Those are all things we have. And and the fact that Polynesia got settled in, in such a short amount of time is just, like, amazing to me. Um, again, I know this was supposed to be a short answer, but it was also great from just uh, like a post-colonial standpoint, when Polynesia or parts of Polynesia got colonized, a lot of what our colonizers would try to do is um, devalue the existing innovation. So like, we're going to impose our Western innovation and our Western styles of government, and you can't maintain that without devaluing the previous structure and so it was just really amazing to me that these really ancient people like thousands of years ago did something that we're not even really capable of doing now like it just kind of goes to show to the the excellence um despite the colonization so really cool the next question is who do you dream of featuring on women of silicon valley we have been talking for a really long time about doing a series 
featuring um, janitorial and kitchen staff in tech. Because without them, like just Google, Facebook, Apple, they would not be nearly as amazing as they are. They're keeping these companies running. But the, the flip side, the dichotomy again of that is like they're, they're paid and appreciated and recognized the least. Um, we see that in our two-tier career, our labor systems, where we're separated into two tiers of these are the full-time employees, these are the attempts, vendors, and contractors. And I think the only thing holding us back is when we feature them, we put them in a precarious position. Uh, they're already dealing with sometimes violations of labor law. They're already dealing with all the systemic factors of working for underpay in an, in an area that is just exorbitantly expensive. Um, and some of them are also risking the fear of just you know, immigration services, not everyone's documented or not everyone has family who's like all documented. Um, so I think we're going to have, we want to do this compilation the right way. We want to do it in a way that honors their experiences without jeopardizing them. Um, maybe that'll take having a lawyer <laughs> on hand, but it, it's going to happen because they, they deserve to be recognized. Uh, to close things out, I'm going to ask, one last question, which is living in such a tech-focused space, what is your favorite analog activity? I think my favorite analog activity would be cooking. I didn't used to like to cook too much, but uh, one of my friends is a decolonial indigenous Filipino food chef. Her name is Yana Gobuena, and I got to observe um, the care with which she creates her food. They're called kamayans. They're feasts where you eat only with your hands and it's served on banana leaves. Um, and I think observing her intentionality and also just the political dimension of what food means and why we eat it. I've started just eating more intentionally about around food that's more indigenous Filipino. So like fish, not as much as the red meats, which were brought to us uh, when Spain came. I love that combination of the the very tactile, hands-on experience in addition to yes. something that can make you feel more in touch with with your heritage. That's that's a really lovely one to have. Well, Leah, thank you so so much for for being interviewed for coming on the podcast. I really immensely appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kendrick. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Women of Silicon Valley, the podcast. Tune in next week when I get put in the hot seat and our founder, Leah Coligato, asks me some questions. In the meantime, rate, review, subscribe, and we will chat with you next Wednesday. Okay.